Uh, This morning, we're going to look at the book of Jonah. And I say the book because it's only four chapters long, and we're probably going to read almost the whole thing. So isn't that great? (laughs) It's fun. All right. The word is great. The word is is so good. And uh, as we look at the book of Jonah today, we, you know, oftentimes think about it as one of those Bible stories that we were told as a kid. And as a child, we, we remember, you know, Jonah being swallowed by the whale. And it was really fun when we did a little thing with the children's church. And, uh, you know, all the kids got to tell their favorite Bible stories. And, and this was Eli's favorite Bible story. And so he was saying that, uh, you know, telling me the story of, of Jonah but he said maybe, maybe the whale farted him out instead of, you know, remember that? <laughs> Not true. <laughs> he spit him out on dry land. But that's how we remember it. We remember it like a story. And, you know, it's kind of a debate whether this was real, whether it was an a analogy or an allegory, or whether it was real. But, you know, Jesus referred to the book of Jonah, and he referred to it like it was real. And do you believe that the Bible is true? I mean, there have been people found inside of great fishes after Jonah's day. And I really believe that this is a true story and it's a word for us. So we're going to look at it like that this morning. And uh, you can go with me over to Jonah chapter 1. And that's where we're going to start. So the book begins with this funny word, now. And we are in a series right now called What About Now?, think that's what it's called right what yeah what about now and uh, so it begins with the word now and Jonah is a now word for us in fact everything in the Bible is a now word for us because the word is alive it's powerful it's always got something that's living for us so it begins with now the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim against it, for their wickedness has come before me. So I might need glasses, Jerry. I might need my glasses. (laughs) Thanks. They're in the side pocket. So (laughs) thanks so much. All right. That might might be helpful. A little further down the line. All right. So... (laughs) Um, So anyway, now, Jonah gets this word from the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came, and he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Proclaim against it, for their wickedness has come before me. So Jonah is, this isn't the first time he shows up in the Bible. In 2 Kings, Jonah showed up. He was a prophet. He loved God. He preached the word of God. He was not afraid to bring a hard word to the people. So Jonah gets this word from the Lord, and how is he going to respond to it? So the book of Jonah really is about the will of God and how we respond to it, and it's about the love of God and how we live it out. And so as Jonah gets this word from the Lord, he kind of is a reluctant prophet now. God says, I want you to deliver this word, but Jonah kind of takes a step back, and it's not because he isn't a passionate, faithful man of God. He is. In fact, 2 Kings tells us that his prophecies came to pass, and so he knew God, and he knew the word of God, but right now, Jonah's having a difficult time with this, and he doesn't want to go to Nineveh, and why does he not want to go to Nineveh? Well, Nahum lets us in a little bit on it. Now, the other 
book, just two chapters over from there, two books over from this, is Nahum. And Nahum also speaks to Nineveh. And Nahum says this about Nineveh in Nahum 3. He calls Nineveh the bloody city. He calls it a city full of lies, no end to the theft, a city full of slain corpses so that the horses in the street stumble upon them. He calls Nineveh the mistress of deadly charms whose young children are dashed in pieces on the street corners. So, wow, it gives us a picture of what Nineveh is like. Nineveh is a wicked city. And when the Lord says their wickedness has come before me, now we're getting a picture of what's going on in Nineveh. Now, Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh, not because he's afraid of the people of Nineveh. Nineveh is full of the Assyrians, and the Assyrians are enemies of Israel. And Jonah lets us in on why he doesn't want to go there a little later in the book. But let me tell you, it's because he doesn't want them to hear the word of the Lord. He knows it's God's word. He knows God is true to his word, and he doesn't want to deliver it. Nineveh, he can't even see Nineveh turning around. And so here he is, he's debating what he's going to do with this word from God. And God is really asking Jonah the question in the very first part, Jonah, can my heart beat in your heart? Because my heart is for people. I care about people. And Jonah is so caught up, he's looking at people too, and he's looking from the outside, and he's saying, they don't deserve the word of the Lord, and they can't, there's, there's nothing about Nineveh that I want to be saved. So here he is, and uh, he's debating what he's going to do. And so part of Jonah really reveals to us, are we going to go by our own thoughts or are we going to go by the thoughts of God and our experience? Because Jonah is acting on his experience. So look at verse 2, and it says this, But Jonah rose up to flee Tarshish from being, flee to Tarshish from being in the presence of the Lord and as his prophet. And he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish the most remote of the Phoenician trading places then known. So he paid the appointed fare and he went down to Tarshish with where this ship was. That's three. Sorry, I, I read two already. That was three. So he goes to Tarshish. He decides, I'm going to go to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh. Now I'm going to show you a map. So on this map, here is... is what it looked like in that day and in this day. So Nineveh is going the opposite direction of the way he went. So he's in Joppa. He goes down to Joppa to get a ship. And Nineveh is right at the place. They have put Nineveh right at the place where Mosul, Iraq is. Okay, that's where Nineveh is. And Tarshish is all the way over in Gibraltar, Spain. So he decides, I'm going to the Mediterranean instead of to the desert where God told me to go. And it says here in verse 3 that he thinks that he can literally run away from God, run away from God's presence, and run away from being a prophet, the man of God, because he thinks it's so distasteful to take the word of the Lord of repentance to Nineveh. <laughs> so he goes as far as the known world you know, away from Nineveh as he could, which was Gibraltar, Spain. So I find that kind of interesting. 
And, you know, sometimes we've done things like that. <laughs> we have run as far as we could from what God was saying or from, you know, what we found uncomfortable because of our own thoughts and our own experience. But Jeremiah 23, 24 says this, and you guys don't have this one, but it says, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? You know, there's nowhere we can run from the presence of God. And Romans 11:29 tells us this about the call of God that's on our life. It says, for God's gifts and call are irrevocable. He never withdraws them. When once they are given and he does not change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call. So when God called Jonah, the call remains. And when he told him to go, really, Jonah can't run from God's presence. And he finds that out. So Jonah's going the wrong way. And now uh, God begins to have some things happen in Jonah's life. So go with me to verse 4. And in verse 4, we'll start reading, but I'm going to take a drink real quick. It's always so dry up here. <laughs> All right. So in verse 4 it says, But the Lord sent a great wind upon the sea, and there was a violent tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken. And then the mariners were afraid, and each man cried to his God, and they cast the goods that were in the ship into the sea to lighten for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and he said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call upon your God. Perhaps God will give a thought to us so that we may not perish. And they each said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us, we pray you, on whose account has this evil come upon this? What is your occupation? Where did you come from? And what is your country and nation, nationality? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I reverently fear and worship the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, what is it that you have done? Like, why, how did you make God so mad that he's like after all of us? So then he says, for the men knew that he fled from being in the presence of the Lord as his prophet and servant because he told them. So he told them, I'm running from God. And, and I'm sure that's why all of this is coming upon you. I'm sure that's why everything is happening. And he begins to tell them, if you'll just throw me overboard. And they tried to not go to that great length and, and just see if they could you know, make it to land, but they couldn't. And so they threw Jonah overboard. And we know the story. God had prepared a great fish to swallow him up. And so that happened. That really happened. And so now he's swallowed up by the great fish and he's in the fish's belly for three days. And as he's in there, he's praying, as we all would be, right? <laughs> because uh, it's not comfortable at all. And he's realizing that I would rather do the will of God. And so he's repenting with a great heartfelt repentance. And we see it in chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 7. It says, and my soul, when my soul fainted upon me, crushing me, 
I earnestly and seriously remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to false, useless, and worthless idols forsake their own source of mercy and loving kindness. What a word. You know, sometimes our, our useless and worthless idols are things that, that we put our trust in, and, and they're just things that we think that they're everyday things. But Jonah realized my experience, my thoughts, these are worthless idols. And I have to put those aside, and I'm going to regard and follow God. He said, mercy left me when I went with my own plan. <laughs> So now, in verse 9, it says, But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation and deliverance belong to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. So here now, he's, he's right back at Joppa, on our, or past Joppa, on the, on the shores of where he will have to walk several hundred miles to get into Nineveh. So he has a lot of time to think about what he's going to say, a lot of time. So Jonah has a second chance, and it tells us that in verse or chapter 3. It says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach and cry out to it the preaching that I tell you. And so we would think after walking all of these miles, you know, Jonah would have a lot to say. But it goes on and it says this, So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city of three days' journey, 60 miles in circumference. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So there he goes. That's his big, long message. <laughs> It's like eight words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, right? That's it. He drops the mic and he's done. He did what God told him to do. That's it, right? He's, he's obedient in his actions, but his heart still isn't with the people of Nineveh. And so here he is. He delivers those words. And what happens with Nineveh? Well, in verse 5, it says this. So the people of Nineveh believed in God and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth in penitent mourning, from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came to the king of Nineveh that all had happened to Jonah and his terrifying message from God, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe aside, and he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes." And he made a proclamation and published it through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not be fed, uh, feed, nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence in his hands. Who can tell? God may turn and revoke his sentence against us. When we have met his terms and turn away from his fierce anger so that we perish not. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God revoked his sentence of evil that he had said that he would do to them and he did not do it. For it was, he was comforted and eased concerning them repentance is what God was looking for. And Jonah knew that when he 
received that message from God, he knew that if he delivered it and they repented, that God would turn. It's why he didn't want to go. And you would think he would be happy right now because this is probably the best day of ministry Jonah has ever had in his whole life. I mean, he's been preaching to Israel the same message over and over and over again, and Israel has been slow in turning. But here is Nineveh. Nineveh hears eight words. He, he's done, and, he, and it's like, boom, there you go. What are you going to do with it? And they it immediately cuts to their heart and they repent. And so here he is, should have been happy, should have been happy, a whole city of people coming to know the Lord. That's what revival looks like. I mean, wouldn't you be happy if revival happened? It would be awesome, right? But revival is happening amongst his enemies, not the people of God. And so as we read on, Let's see, in, in 4, verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, I pray you, O Lord, is this not just what I said when I was still in my country? This is why I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness. And when sinners turn to you, you meet and meet your conditions, you revoke the sentence of evil against them. Wow. Why is he not happy? Because he knew that God would be good. <laughs> and these are his enemies. I mean, see how in his actions he was obedient, but his heart just still wasn't there. And you know, I've been in that place, and you just don't have a lot of joy. <laughs> when you're doing what God said to do, but your heart isn't in it. And God wants him to have joy. He wants all of us to have joy. And so he says, I knew you would show mercy. I knew it. I knew what you were going to do, God. So we read on in verse 3, and it says, Therefore now, O Lord, I beseech you, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> and it says, Then said the Lord, Do you do well to be angry? Wow, what a question. What a question. Do you do well to, to be angry? I'm choking on my dry throat. Do you do well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, and he sat east of the city, and he made a booth there for himself. He put up a tent. And he sat there under it in the shade, until he might see what would become of the city. Now, didn't God just say <laughs> what was going to become of the city? It says God turned when they repented. But Jonah is still hoping. <laughs> and I think he's probably ready to sit there for 39 days to see if on the 40th day this city will be destroyed. It's like when we go up to the Glenwood Meadows area and park our car so that we can watch the fireworks, right? And you have to get there really early because there's a lot of cars. And uh, we did it last New Year's Eve, I think it was, when they postponed the fireworks. And so there was lots of cars. And so we took hot chocolate in our car and, and we were all up there parked waiting for the fireworks to start. 
Well, that's Jonah. He's in his tent waiting for the fireworks of Nineveh to start, right? He's hoping, he's hoping that God is still going to destroy Nineveh. And then we read on down in verse 6, and it says, And the Lord God prepared a gourd, or a vine. And it says, He made it to come up overnight and Jonah, on Jonah, that it might be shade over his head, to deliver him from his evil situation. <laughs> God doesn't think this is good. So Jonah was exceedingly glad to have protection of the gourd. But God prepared a cutworm, when the morning dawned the next day, and it smote the gourd so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah so that he fainted, and he wished in himself to die. And he said, Is it better for me to die than to live? It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the loss of the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry. <laughs> and then he added, angry enough to die. <laughs> so he is not having any of it. And it seems like God is just kind of poking him, right? God is just poking him to see what comes out. And as Jonah sits there and, he, and, and he's happy for the shade, he's receiving the blessing of the Lord. But the cutworm comes and now the shade is gone and Jonah is angry again. And all that's going on with Jonah is going on in his heart. His heart is not right. And you know, over and over in the Bible, there are all kinds of heart stories all kinds of heart stories. God shows us over and over again the importance of our heart, and that if our heart is for him, that he can do anything with us. And so there's a lot in this for Jonah. So God goes on speaking to Jonah in verse 10. It says, And then said the Lord, You have had pity on the gourd for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night, and should I not spare Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons not yet old enough to know their right hand from their left hand, and many cattle not accountable for sin? So like I said, it's a rhetorical question, and, and Jonah, I think it's the only book of the Bible that ends with a question like that. God says, do you do well? Do you do well to be angry? Jonah's like, yes, I'm angry, and yes, I have a reason to be mad. Ever been in that place? You know? <laughs> and God immediately comes back with something. He immediately comes back, and he says, you, you care about that vine, but you don't care about these people. 120,000 people who are not yet old enough to know their right hand from their left hand. And here they are. They're... They're infants. It's a spiritual condition. They don't know anything about God. They don't know anything. Some people think it was 120,000 people that were children in the city. Some say that was the population of the city. Regardless, that's a whole lot of people, right? A whole lot of people. And Jonah should be caring about the people. God is revealing his value system. His value system says, I value people. So can God's heart beat in Jonah's heart. Well, you know, I really believe Jonah wrote this book, and Jonah didn't have to tell the whole story of everything that God told him and how mad he was and all of that, but he told it to us on purpose so that we could learn from it, 
Because Jonah probably got his priorities right, and he probably adopted God's value system. And he probably said, you know what? I have it wrong here. Lord, I make you Lord, not me Lord. And what you want to do is okay with me. So God really speaks to Jonah, and he says, I see your passion, and I see that you're passionate. Let me show you what you really should be passionate about. You should be passionate about the people that I'm passionate about. See, God doesn't care if we're passionate about something. But, you know, I, I know I'm like you. <laughs> it's just the, the situation of, that we're all in right now. There is passionate people everywhere, and I'm just as passionate, right? We are passionate about politics right now. We're passionate about what we should think God should do right now. We're passionate about things in our nation and the w direction that our nation should take. And as I was preparing for this message, God was redirecting my heart back to people. Back to people. See, it's not my ideas, and it's not your ideas, and it's not our ideas that matter. It's God's ideas that matter. And where God can have repentance of people, God can do anything. And conditions don't have to be right for repentance to take place, right? They don't have to be what I think they need to be. And I think that we all need to take advantage of our opportunity to vote. And I think that we should be passionate about righteousness. And we should be passionate about godliness. But we should be passionate about people. And we can't be against people. And I say this just a few days before our election because I guarantee you that on Wednesday morning, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday, there will be people. And God says, why are you so angry? <laughs> do you do well to be angry? And people will go, I am angry. I am angry enough to die. <laughs> right? It's going to happen. It's just going to happen. I mean, last election, what happened? People were so angry. They wanted to move to France and, and all other places, right? People will be angry. And God says, do you do well to be angry? <laughs> some, some people think it's a good word, and some people are like, why did I come to church? <laughs> But see, we need the book of Jonah. We need our hearts redirected in places. And we need to know that God can be God all by himself. <laughs> whether we vote in the person who we think should be president, whether the person who we don't think should be president, and in this room, if we even took a poll, guess what? We wouldn't even be on the same page because we all have different reasons why we do what we do. But God says, I care about people. So when we read the book of Jonah, it makes us do a hard examination. Do we care more about our thoughts or God's thoughts? Do we care more about the plant that gives us comfort? And what is our comfort, right? What's the thing that makes me feel comfortable and good in my life so that my eyes are not on people? What's the thing that makes me feel like, uh, you know, I can just stay here in my booth and life is okay right now? Do we care more about comfort or people? Do we have the heart of God for the situations in our lives? 
Are we on the mission of God? See, Jonah, in the book of Jonah, God reveals his desire for all men to be saved. And as I'm looking at that map that we showed, Jonah went down to Joppa to get the ship to go to Tarshish when he was supposed to go to Nineveh. And guess where Joppa is? Joppa is that place where God put the sheet down in front of Peter. And he said, don't call unclean what I have called clean. He said, you think I came for you, and guess what? I came for everyone. (laughs) I came for the whole world. So it makes me think about Jesus, too, in Matthew 12. Jesus said that Jonah is a picture of him, of Jesus. And Jesus said, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, he said, I'll be in the belly of the earth for three days. And what was Jesus doing? He was restoring people to himself. He went and he took all of our sin upon him so that everyone could be born again, so that we could have that second chance like Jonah took advantage of and like Nineveh took advantage of. It was hard for Jonah to believe that God could save somebody who wasn't, you know, didn't believe like he did, wasn't of his personal opinions. But God did. And God used great things like the great fish and the great wind, and he used small things like the vine and the cutworm, all to redirect Jonah. I want to share with you a... um, portion out of this this devotional that I read. It's by Oswald Chambers, and it's actually from the September 21st um, devotional for that day, and it's called The Missionary's Predestined Purpose, because I want to cause us to help us to see something. Do you know that we are missionaries? I know we live in America, and we were born here, maybe even in this valley, but we are missionaries. Because we're on a mission from God. And you know what the mission of New Creation Church is? You could probably say it with me. It's to love, lift, and reach people. Love, lift, and reach people. And that's our mission. And that's what we want to do. And so we are missionaries. Whether you came from somewhere else to here, God planted you here, and you're a missionary. Whether God planted you here by causing you to be born here, You're a missionary. You're here for his purpose. And I love what he says in this day's devotional. He says, the first thing that happens after we recognize our election by God in Christ Jesus is the destruction of our preconceived ideas, our narrow-minded thinking, and all of our other allegiances. We are turned solely into God's servants for God's own purpose. I love that. He says, the entire human race was created to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Sin has diverted the human race into another course, but it has not altered God's purpose in the slightest degree. See, that was the part that really stood out to me that day. It hasn't altered God's purpose in the slightest degree, and it's exactly what Alan was saying this morning. God's purpose hasn't changed. God is eternal. And God always wants to bless us, and God always wants to bring us into his goodness. God always wants people to be saved. God's purpose is about people. 
So it goes on and it says, and when we are born again, we are brought into the realization of God's great purpose for the human race, namely that he created us for himself. This realization of our election by God is the most joyful on earth. And we must learn to rely on this tremendous creative purpose of God. The first thing God will do is force the interests of the whole world through the channel of our heart. Wow. The love of God and even the very nature is introduced to us and we see the nature of Almighty God purely focused in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. And then it says, we must continually keep our soul open to the fact of God's creative purpose and never confuse or cloud it with our own intentions. If we do, God will have to force our intentions aside, no matter how much it may hurt. A missionary is created for the purpose of being God's servant, one in whom God is glorified. Once we realize that it is the salvation of Jesus Christ that we are made perfectly fit for the purpose of God, we will understand why Jesus Christ is so strict and relentless in his demands. He demands righteousness from his servants because he has put them into them the very nature of God. And then he ends with this, beware lest you forget God's purpose for your life. Do you know we can get so caught up in so many things that we forget God's purpose for our life is to send me. You know, as Christians, we're called to pray. We're called to pray for, for others and for the world. We're called to love them. And we're called to be a laborer. We're called to be that. We don't just pray for laborers. We are laborers. So in the division and the deception and the whole political climate that's going on right now, I just ask you this question. Are we remembering our purpose? Are we remembering our purpose? So I have to continually come back to it. And Pastor Mark was confessing last week that he yells at the television, and he does. And I do too, <laughs> right? I mean, we do. But we have to continually come back. I couldn't even watch it this weekend. I mean, I couldn't, uh, inside of me, I wanted to keep seeing, like, what's going on? What's, what are they saying at the different, you know, rallies and things? But I couldn't even watch it. I prayed and prayed and prayed. And I took on God's purpose and prayed out God's purpose instead of just watching to see what was happening. So Jonah couldn't even get excited about revival, this great revival that happened because his heart was hard to people. And we have to watch that the devil doesn't bring so many things that our heart begins to get hard to people. Because it's not people, it's the enemy. The enemy is bringing division and deception and all of those things. And people, when they're confronted with the gospel, have the opportunity to change and to step into a whole different way of life. As Christians, we're called to bring that message of reconciliation. Let me read you Matthew 24, 12 through 14. 
It says, the love of the great body of people will grow cold because of the multiplied lawlessness and iniquity. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this good news of the kingdom of the gospel will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Guess what? It's not the end after Wednesday. <laughs> it's not the end. <laughs> no, there's a, there's a greater end. And if we don't see Jesus, it's not the end yet. And so he is coming back and we're called to pray and to look toward and to preach the gospel until he does. And then let's see, John 13, 35 says this, this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another if you keep on showing love amongst yourselves. We're called to love. And I just want to remind us today, in case we forget during the week, that when things don't go the way that we thought they were going to go, we don't focus on natural things. And it's exactly what Alan said. We don't focus on what we can see. We focus on what's eternal. Because there are temporal things and there are eternal things. And God brought to Jonah's heart eternal things. And he said, this is what's eternal. The word of God will last forever. And people, people, people are in God's heart. God came to Jonah, really, and he said, can my heart beat in your heart? What a question. Can God's heart beat in our heart? You know, on Wednesday morning when I get up, no matter what happens, I'm going to rise with expectation. And I hope you do, too of God doing great things in our nation. No matter what happens, God is going to do great things, and he'll do them through you and through me. Let me read Isaiah 60, 1 through 5. This is our expectation. Arise from the depression and the prostration in which circumstances have kept you. Rise to new life. Shine. Be radiant with the glory of the Lord. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Whether we think it looks dark or whether we think it looks light, expect the glory of God to rise upon you. You're a missionary, and you're called to the ministry of reconciliation. It says, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and dense darkness all the peoples, but the Lord shall arise upon you, O Jerusalem." And his glory shall be seen upon you, and the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about you and see. They gather themselves together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried and nursed in the arms. Then you shall see and be radiant, and your heart will thrill and tremble with joy at the glorious deliverance. And be enlarged, because the abundant wealth of the Dead Sea shall be turned to you, and unto you shall the nations come with their treasures. You know, no matter what happens, there is still a great revival that's coming. And I want to be ready for it with my heart prepared, my heart that says, God, your heart can beat in my heart. Your heart can move through me. I will move toward people, and I will love people. I'll love everyone. That's, that should be the mark of Christians because the word tells us that, but you know, sometimes it's not. I just pray that we at New Creation Church, it would be the mark of us 
that we would be marked with him, that we would shine bright, that we would be radiant, that when the world is dark, that his glory would be seen on us and that we would see many coming to the brightness of his rising. Oh man, that's what we want. So <laughs> 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8, it says, but the end and the culmination of all things has now come near. Keep sound minded and self-restrained and alert, therefore, for the practice of prayer. Above all things, have an intense and unfailing love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. It forgives and it disregards the offenses of others. Isn't that a good word? Man, I think I'm more excited than you guys are. <laughs> Except for John. John is too. Me and John are excited about this word. <laughs> so pray. Pray, pray, pray. You know, that's how, how another way that we can focus on eternal things. We can pray. Prayer always closes the gap in the distance between us and God. Prayer puts us in the position where we can be used of God. Prayer really aligns ourselves with the purpose and with the plan of God. And God will always have a purpose and plan that we can put ourselves in agreement with. We can position ourselves. We can prophetically pray out the things that the Holy Spirit would have us pray. We can submit ourselves to do his will in prayer. And you know, that's what Jonah did. Jonah submitted himself because Jonah realized one thing, that the fear of being without God when he thought he could run away, the fear of being without God when he was in the belly of the whale was worse. It was the worst thing to live and be without him. So we can pray and we can draw close to the Lord. Now, here's the last thing I learned about Jonah when I was studying this, is that every year on Yom Kippur, which is when, what just passed, Yom Kippur just passed, that the Jewish people go into the synagogue and they read the book of Jonah. And when they read the book of Jonah, they read the part where he says, I am Hebrew, and they make that declaration that I am a Hebrew, meaning I'm a chosen child of God. And then they say this, they say, I am Jonah. Because on the Day of Atonement, they read the book of Jonah because Jonah had to get his heart right with God. He had to repent. And not only did he repent, the whole city repented. And all of them saw the power of God. And so the Jewish people go in and they say, uh, I am Hebrew. I am God's chosen person. And not only am I Hebrew, I am Jonah. I am one who continually needs to align my heart with God's purpose. And I loved that. I really loved it because that's what we have to continually do. We have to continually say, Lord, I am your chosen person and you chose me and you planted me and I'm your missionary and I'm your servant, but I want my heart to be right with you. It was the day of atonement. The day when everybody's heart, everybody looked at their heart and they wanted it to be right with God. So here we are, and it's kind of like our Day of Atonement, right? We have the opportunity to examine our heart and where we are with God. And it's a good time to do it. And let me share with you John 15, 16. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and I have appointed you. God appointed us for a purpose. He planted you that you might go and bear fruit and keep on bearing and that your fruit may be lasting that it may remain and abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, 
as presenting all that I am, he may give it to you. You know, if our prayers aren't aligned with his heart, we don't see answers to those prayers. It's only when our prayers are aligned with his heart that he can give us everything that we ask for. So as we pray for our nation, we want our prayers to be aligned with God's heart for our nation. We want to ask for his plan, and we want to submit ourselves to that. And no matter what happens on Wednesday morning, we're going to be ready to do the will and the work of God, right? God's glory is going to rise on us and shine through us to do whatever he's called us to do in the coming years. And God's great revival in this nation is on the horizon. And we've been saying that all year. It's never felt more real to me as it has felt this year. And I'm sure for you too that Jesus is coming soon. <laughs> and that there's a whole lot of people that need to know him. A lot of people. So that means we have a big job to do as the church, and we can't have a hard heart to anyone or anything. And that's why Pastor Mark's been really, you know, pounding on this. Several weeks he's been talking to us about the hardness of our heart and getting our hearts soft and right and pliable in the hands of God. And that's why. So I believe that we are Jonah this morning. We are Jonah. And we have the opportunity to just rededicate our heart. And uh, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, this is the opportunity to give it to him for the first time. But if we have, and we need to just say, Lord, here's my heart again, then we can do it this morning too, right? That's the prayer of consecration. Jesus did that three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. It should be a continual uh, prayer that we pray in, the, in our life as a Christian. That prayer of consecration and dedication. So why don't you stand with me and, and let's pray together. If you're praying this prayer for the very first time and you're trusting Jesus to be your Savior, praise God, I'm so glad. Make sure that you tell somebody who's up here in the front, our altar care, if you're here in the sanctuary. And if you're not here in the sanctuary and you're praying this prayer for the first time and you're online with us, then make sure you go to our website and click share your story and tell us that you prayed the prayer. We have books that are digital books we'd like to send you and we would just like to rejoice with you that you prayed this prayer. But for all of us that are praying this prayer again and we're rededicating our heart and I'm doing that this morning. I'm doing that this morning. I'm saying, Lord, I put my heart again in your hands. And I want your heartbeat to be my heartbeat. I want your love for people to be my love for people. I want your thoughts for people to be my thoughts for people. I'm doing that. If we're doing that this morning, then, then we're putting ourselves in the right place. And if you have a story to share, you can also share it on Share Your Story on the website. But let's pray. Say, Father, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for sending your son for me. I believe that Jesus gave his life. And he died on that cross so that I could have life. 
And I choose today to turn from my own way, from my own thoughts. I won't run from you. I will run to you today. And I ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life, to sit on the throne of my heart, and I choose to follow you. Cleanse me from every unrighteous way. Cleanse me from pride. Cleanse me from anger. Cleanse me from unforgiveness. And forgive me and heal my heart and restore my purpose today. Show me the plan for my life and put your heart in mine today. I declare that I am yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. God is good, isn't he? He is so good. Well, thanks for listening to mine and John's sermon. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was good. But, you know, uh, I just believe that this week we're going to have to put it to practice. So let's keep it in our heart. And let's pray. Let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for the people of our nation. People who believe like us. People who don't believe like us. People who have our thoughts. People who don't have our thoughts. And let's get the thoughts of God and let's believe him for some great things to be happening in our nation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, have a great day. Let's say this as we go. I almost forgot to say it. Uh, what God did in Christ Jesus, what God did in Christ far, exceeds far exceeds any damage done to me damage. by Adam's fall. By Adam's Amen. Fall. See you tonight. Pastor Mark will be back tonight. <laughs>